Numa jina trubinandasya, jina jina salakaya, chakshun melitanyena, tasmai shri guruve namaha. Panchakapadu vishya, kripasindavi vacha. Tita nam pamane bio vaishnavijinamu namaha. Srila Jiva Goswami Prabhupada ki. So we're going to continue with Jiva Goswami's satsandarvas. Uh, we're in the beginning with the Tattva Sandarbha, and we are uh, going to continue this evening with our discussion of epistemology, uh, epistemology being the, the qualifying of uh, appropriate means for acquiring knowledge in relationship to the self, to our being, to our existence. So before we get in the class, we're going to chant together responsively uh, Jiva Goswami's invocation to the Satsandarvas, taken from the 11th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam, Sangopangastra Parsadam, Yajai Sankirtana Prayar, Yajantihi Sumedasa In the age of Kali, intelligent persons perform congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead, who constantly sings the names of Krishna. Although his complexion is not blackish, he is Krishna himself. He is accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions. So we'll begin this evening with a look at and discussion of the 12th Anacheda. And we're at an interesting point now. Uh, Srila Jiva Goswami has, has made strong arguments for the fact that if we are to really perceive anything of our true being, our true self, we're going to need to go beyond information or knowledge that's available to us from our senses. He basically has pointed out the senses just, they, are, they fall short when it comes to acquiring knowledge. So therefore, they're, they're not a good, uh, a good means uh, to arrive at knowledge, except in one instance, when what we perceive with our senses supports what we hear from the scripture. So this whole section on epistemology began right there. He immediately, right out of the gate, put the material senses and our situation in proper perspective. We have four defects. Our senses are imperfect. We become illusioned. We cheat. We make mistakes. From there he goes forward and he he begins his presentation by presenting as an alternative to our senses transcendental sound vibrations, Sabda Brahman. And then he immediately presents logical arguments as to the validity of that sound vibration. That it it gives us access to to knowledge 
beyond ourself. Knowledge about God, knowledge about the material world beyond the sphere that a sphere of perception that we have coming into this one atmosphere. Uh, it gives us knowledge of of a spiritual realm, if we were to believe it. And it gives us uh, uh, knowledge of of the other spheres within the material realm even, other spheres of other environments that are inhabited and inhabitable. These things aren't available through our senses. We can only see what we see in this world here, and we're limited. Uh, if we want knowledge about the nature of our consciousness, if we want knowledge about our spiritual existence, if we want knowledge of God, if we want knowledge of the kingdom of God, if we were to believe in it. Uh, we need to go beyond the senses. And then he presents the, this Apurusheya Subda Brahman, transcendental sound vibration that is eternal, coming into the material realm as a valuable way of acquiring knowledge. And he gives us logical explanations as to its validity. It is possible if you are willing to set aside your egoic predisposition that makes you feel that only your senses are viable, well, I've already showed you your senses are not that viable. They're somewhat viable. They give you information no one can deny. They do, but they're limited. They're imperfect. And we imperfectly use them, and we're predisposed to a certain way at looking at what comes to our senses. So much so that what, what one person perceives as hot, another one perceives as cold, and they're the, in the exact same environment. But the senses are telling them something different. Or one, one person, what one person may take as a compliment, another person can take as an insult. And it's the same comment coming from the same individual. Then he proceeds to use the Vedas themselves as evidence. After presenting the logical arguments and giving a couple, couple examples of where the Vedas tell us things that and provide for us certain information that coincides with our sensual experience. But it didn't require a scientific lab to arrive at. We find in, this, in the Vedas that both the, the urine and the dung of the cow are antiseptic. And the scientists have verified that. That's an, then we also find in the Veda certain formula for medicinal preparations to, to treat any health situation. And we find that if we use those, they work. And we didn't have to go into the lab. We didn't require a pharmaceutical company. We didn't require the sacrifice of the lives of innocent rabbits and, you know, mice and monkeys. But right there in the Veda is, a, is, is something. So he asks intelligent people, let's make, make an experiment yourself. 
and set aside your egoic point of reference and just for a while take on the possibility that there could be transcendental sound vibration that is perfect and complete. But you have to set your your frame of reference aside to do that. And then he says, and there is a key that also has to be utilized to enter into this knowledge. You have to take this knowledge from someone who's already fully assimilated and realized it from the Veda and from the formula which I'm now going to give you. If you want to know the Veda, if you want to enter into the mysteries, if you want to know these secrets, you have to enter into accepting them through disciplic succession. Disciplic succession entails a disciple and a teacher, a guru. So if you want to learn this knowledge and realize its transcendental nature and that it is factually a purusheya, that it's, it's actually a vibration of eternal sound vibration that's always perfect. It's full knowledge in full perfection all the time. There is no fault whatsoever in it. If you want to enter into that depth of knowledge, you will learn as much as you could possibly ever want to acquire from this knowledge, but you have to take it properly. And that is through disciplic succession. You have to accept the guru. You have to follow his teaching. Following his teaching generally inv invokes, it's, a, it's an ego-effacing process. You have to leave a, a, aside your predispositions towards looking at things and taking cake on the disposition and the qualities of the guru to fully take in this knowledge. So we're at a point now where Jiva Goswami is, he's made these points, and now he's looking at the whole nature of Subda Brahman, which is available to humanity. And we call this the Vedic Vedic knowledge. And he's looking at this Vedic knowledge and he's saying, there actually, if we look at all this great Vedic knowledge that's coming down in disciplic succession, which is actually the word of God himself, which is, that sounds kind of like, whoa, the word of God, oh my, here we go again. Religious fanaticism. <laughs> At its peak, all these books of the word of God, and you know, it, it's, it's from our perspective, it's like, well, but he's already made some logical points here. He's made his logical arguments. He said, just look, set your ego aside for some time, 
enter into this knowledge properly, uh, hear it from a bona fide source, and you'll note it. You'll note as you begin the process of hearing from someone who's realized this knowledge in the same way that you can realize this knowledge, it's going to have an effect on you. You're actually going to start seeing things according to this knowledge. Shastra Shakshu, your vision is going to become based on Shastra. So now he's looking at the whole, he's presenting the whole picture of the Vedas. And he's pointing out that there is one source within all the Vedas which is topmost for understanding the topmost of the knowledge the Vedas have to offer. And that is Srimad Bhagavatam. So we'll see how close we can get to Srimad Bhagavatam tonight. But let's at least get through acceptance of the Puranas and the Itihasas as um, superior to the Veda itself at this point in time for us in the situation that we are in, in the environment we're in. So he begins, 12, page 74. Because at present it is difficult to study the Vedas in their entirety, and because their meaning is highly abstruse, and yet, further yet, because even the great thinkers who have com commented on the meaning of the Vedas interpret them in contradictory ways. We should study only the Itihasas and Puranas. Since they are Vedic in nature and are conclusive in determining the meaning of the Vedas, moreover, with the help of the Itihasas and Puranas, we can infer the meaning of the unavailable portions of the Vedas Thus is present, only the Itihasas and Puranas are the appropriate sources for valid knowledge. So he's giving us his advice according to this time, our time. So he sums a few things in here, which I want to want to address in order to further bring out what he means. So he says something about to the point that are we okay? Huh? So should I stop? Anyway, it says, he says here that the Vedas are incomplete. So we may question, well, well, how are the Vedas incomplete? This is interesting. 
So let's look to what Vyas did with the Vedas. At the end of Dwarpa Yuga, he made the Vedas available in writing. So the the entire Veda, um, the Atharva Veda, or is it the R? I'll let you know later. Anyway, he divided the Vedas into four, and then those were further divided into 1,130 branches. All right? So the Rig Veda was divided into 21 branches. The Yajur into 100 branches. The Sama into 1,000 branches. And the Atharva into four branches. So now we have four Vedas in 1,130 branches. Now each of those branches has four subdivisions. All right? Those four subdivisions are Asamhita, Samhitas, Brahmana, Aranyaka, and Upanishad. So now we have the four Vedas in 4,520 parts. Jiva Goswami's pointed out that the Vedas at this point in time are incomplete. Well, the question could, should be from us, how incomplete are they? So from four, 1,130 branches, each of those branches, four parts, Samhitas, Brahmanas, Aranyakas, Upanishads, 4,520 total, what's available now? We have approximately 11 Samhitas. This is approximate. We have Brahmanas, 18, Aranyakas, 7, and Upanishads, 220. So of those 4,520 divisions, we now have available to us where we can, right now, of course this was at the time, well this is the time of the author's commentary, 256 units. 256 to 4,520 is what percentage? Six. So right now we have 6% of the Vedas available to us. That's an interesting point to keep in mind. And also when we look to the Upanishads, 220 Upanishads, well, what what do we hear repeatedly? Of those, 108 are really relevant. And of the Samhitas, how many Samhitas have you heard of? Brahma, Samhita, you know. Upanishads, we've heard of a few. What? Uh, uh, Shri Upanishad. Gopal Tapani Upanishad. So, a few are very relevant to us. So, 6% of the Vedas are now left. The other 94% 
are not available anymore, and that's within a period of 5,000 and some odd years. It just goes to show how how much the culture of the day and the influence of Kali has affected Vedic knowledge. Now let's look at some other reasons why Jiva Goswami is saying for us now that the original Vedas, four Vedas, are not not suitable for our inquiries into the Absolute Truth. It's not that they're fully not suitable, that they're not suitable for us for a few reasons. First of all, in order to enter into the mystery, you have to be an expert scholar of Sanskrit. Well, there are two versions of Sanskrit. There's Vaidika, and that's Sanskrit as the Vedas use, and there's Laukika, which is current in the world, ordinary Sanskrit. Now, the Vedas are Vaidika. Well, if you're going to study Vaidika Sanskrit and the Vedas, you have to study the first, the six limbs of the Vedas in that, in order, before you even enter into the study. Those are called uh, Vedangas. Here they are. All right, so I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I'm trying to give you a view of what you're up against if somebody says, I'm a Vedic scholar. Okay, then. So, first of all, you're a Vedic scholar. Okay, if you're a Vedic scholar, that means before you began to study the Vedas, you studied the six limbs that are prerequisite, which is Siksha, science of pronunciation, Kalpa, process of performing sacrifices, Vyakarana, rules of grammar, Nirukta, meaning of different words in their der- derivations, Jyotisa, astronomy, and how the influence of the luminaries affects human actions, and Chandas, Vedic meters. So these limbs have to be mastered before we look to study of the Vedas. Oh, and by the way, there's only 6% available for your study right now. But beside that, okay. Uh, the, The Vedas are very cryptic. They are difficult if you look at the... You, you you need a, a guru that's fully, fully realized in them in order to learn them from him. Uh, on your own, to def- decipher the Vedas would be impossible. Uh, oh, and we're in Kali Yuga. We have really bad memories. Uh, and the environment is polluted in every way. So, you know, physically, uh, the food, the air, the water, everything we have is, is polluted and is going to work against us in having the clear consciousness and mental ability 
to study properly the Vedas under a bona fide teacher. Uh, well, why don't we study the Vedanta Sutra? We'll just take Vyasadeva's conclusion, the Vedanta Sutra, and we'll study that. Okay, that's a logical approach. But the Vedanta Sutra, so many people have looked at the Vedanta Sutra, and there's so many people who have given different commentaries on the same Vedanta Sutra. So, maybe it's not the best place to look for your knowledge because people derive different conclusions from it based on their, on their, on their approach. Also in the world today, we have other systems of philosophy and thought in addition to the Vedanta Sutra, which in some respects can compete with those conclusions of the Vedanta Sutra. Uh, the teachings of Jamini, the teachings of Kapila, Gautama, uh, Gorama. So they have their own philosophies, which, well, every philosophy, every Rishi, he has his own opinion, and they go back and forth. So Jiva goes forward, and he says, really, the Itihasas and the Puranas, those we can understand. Those are easy, easily available to us. First of all, they're in Laukika Sanskrit, ordinary Sanskrit. You're allowed to say it out loud. The intonation does not have to be absolutely perfect. Um, the knowledge in the Puranas and Itihasas is coming to us in the story in a story format. So it's easy for us to understand the conclusion that's trying to be put forward. It's easier for us. And it's the same conclusions that come through the study of the Vedas. But it's a much easier avenue. He goes on to say that don't, don't equate the two. The knowledge coming from both is the same, but they're not literally identical. What they can give us, can come, we can come to the same result. Then a couple, three, three different other items to consider is when we're studying the, the original Veda, uh, we have to take into consideration the exact pronunciation. So there's Udata, high, Swarita, intermediate, and Anudata, low. These are different accents, and according to the accent, there is a different meaning. And this is pointed out to us in the Maha Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, in the story of whom? Ritrasura. Twasta wanted an enemy that could kill Indra. And this goes to show you how powerful these mantras of the Vedas are. That if properly given, 
in sacrifice, they can you can perform amazing things. Well, Twasta wanted to wanted revenge against Indra, Indra for for killing his his son, and he uh, he chanted the uh, mantra Indra Satro Vivar Dasva. I want an Indra, an enemy who could kill Indra. Indra Sastro Vivar Dasva. And Twasta got the intonation wrong, and what was the result? He got an enemy that was killed by Indra. Just because of the improper chanting and the tone. So, again, Jiva's pointing out in his commentary here the fact that the Vedas are they really need to be dealt with properly. And it's the qualifications are very much up there. For us the Itihasas and Puranas, those are readily available. And he's going to work tonight there's three Anochetas that we're going to try to cover, which he really tries to bring all all kinds of arguments to our consciousness to make his point in this regard. The Vedas require exact word sequencing. It's rigidly fixed and it cannot be changed at all. In order to maintain that, there are other Sanskrit laws in regards to the Vedas um, and the and the arrangement of words. Padapatha, Kramapatha, Ganapatha, and Jatapatha. And these four together assure that the wording in the Vedas does not change. Whereas in the Puranas, the exact wording may change in different yugas when they're presented. Slight differences in various editions. And we notice that if we read the commentaries, uh, specifically of, of Vishwanath, if you read his Srimad Bhagavatam commentary, he'll point out that this verse, different words are in the verses sometimes. And here is the explanation why. They're not as strict as the Vedas, and whoever's providing, it's coming in a different yuga, the information. And it may be it may be presented a little differently. There's no loss in that when it comes to the Puranas and Itihasas. And then we he comes to very firm, solid evidence. Sri Sudra Dwijabandunam from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Out of compassion the great sage thought it wise that this would enable men to achieve the ultimate goal of life. Thus he compiled the great historical narration called the Mahabharat for women, laborers, and friends of the twice-born. Sri Sudra Dwijabandunam So it is for all classes of men in human society. There's no restrictions. This is a continuation of the actual Anucheda. Anucheda, I'm sorry. 
Um, this is why the Mahabharat, Adi Parva, one two sixty seven, and Manu Sanihita state: one should com- complement one's understanding of the Vedas with the help of the Itihasas and Puranas. And elsewhere it is stated, the Puranas are called by that name because they complete. It is not possible to complete or explain the meaning of the Vedas with something that is not Vedic in nature. Just as it is improper to finish an incomplete gold bracelet with lead. Now what we're going to notice going forward here in a few of the Anuchedas is Jiva Goswami is dealing with some arguments that must have been prevalent in his time that, well, we accept the Vedas, but we the Puranas and the Itihasas are not on the same level. But Jiva Goswami, is, his, what he's doing here in his Tatvas and Darbha in this first section on epistemology, the nature of knowledge, is he saying, no, you're wrong. Really, the Itihasas and Puranas are just as spiritually potent because they come from the same source. And you'll notice as we go through this, he, he's dealing with those arguments in a very, very forceful way. He's making his points and he's using the Vedas as his evidence to support his points. Both the Puranas and the other four Vedas themselves, Upanishads, Brahmanas, Samhitas. So he's not limiting himself and having what? The same circular logic we discussed in the last class. The Vedas are the evidence for themselves. Well, they are because they're non-different from the absolute truth. So, here mention is made that when we talk about complete, that the Puranas and the Itihasas complete the Vedas, it is that the Puranas give explanations and supplemental information to help us understand the terse and cryptic message of the Vedas, they are themselves a Purusheya. So when we say complete, it's not that the Vedas in in themselves are not complete, but the Puranas, you know, Srimad Bhagavatam being the cream of the Veda, these Puranas make our understanding complete. And if they are that powerful to make our understanding of the Vedas complete, then they themselves are of the same substance. So if you have a golden bracelet and it's not complete, you're not going to complete it with iron. It's a different nature. It has to be completed with gold. So again, he's making these strong arguments showing that we should view the Itihasas and the Puranas on a level equal with the Vedas. 
and all you scholars out there reading this text should know you're wrong if you're not if you're seeing them in any other way that's the point and he's going to really pound the point which is good for us we need to to see how this is jiva goswami if jiva goswami's convinced about something like a naughty karma that's he's we can see he, he he's not somebody to be you know taken lightly when it comes to to his his spiritual perception of course we could sing the praises of his true spiritual perfection just imagine that he's his position in, in serving serving radha his his depth of radha dasham that he's serving in that realm he comes to this realm and and takes on the position of a sadika how much knowledge and depth of understanding he has when he comes into this environment that's for another class and it goes on but one might object if the literatures we know as itihasas and puranas are actually part of the vedas there must exist other literatures which go by the same name but are not part of the vedas otherwise the literatures we call itihasas and puranas cannot be accepted as non-different from the vedas to this we reply that the itihasas and puranas are non-different from the vedas inasmuch as both kinds of literature have no human author and present the same object of knowledge the same goal the priogen nonetheless there is some differences between them with regard to intonation and word order you say what you want but really they're presenting the same thing go on to anucheta 13 and he'll continue his arguments and some of these anuchetas have many parts he really as i said he really drives the whole the point home we can only imagine his at his the time of his presenting this literature that there was much understanding as to the validity of of the puranas in relationship to the vedas and this is only 500 years ago so it's not like they had had that many more vedic literatures available to them we have 6% that we can find now so maybe there are a few that have been lost in the last 500 years so the itihasas and puranas are vedic Therefore Skanda Purana states long ago Brahma the grandsire of the Devas performed severe penances and as a result the Vedas appeared along with their six supplements okay and their pada and krama text then the entire purana emanated from his mouth So right here we have a text from the Skanda Purana 
saying that at the same time that the Vedas came from Brahma, also the Puranas came from Brahma. They all came from Brahma's mouth. Composed of eternal sound and consisting of one billion verses. It is the unchanging, sacred embodiment of all scriptures. We're talking about the Puranas now. You should know that of the various divisions of this Purana, the Brahma Purana is the first. So when we talk about Purana in this context, we're talking about that whole billion verses that came forth from Brahma's mouth after he performed sacrifice. So first the Vedas, and then the Puranas. The Vedas came from the four heads of Brahma in four different directions. And then the Puranas came from all four mouths. The figure one billion cited above refers to the number of verses existing in Brahma's domain. The third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam 3.12.37 offers a similar description in the passage starting with the words Brahma manifested the four Vedas Rig, Rig, Yajur, Sama, and Atharva from his four mouths facing the east, south, west, and north respectively. In this passage we find the statement Then the all-seeing Now he's quoting from Srimad Bhagavatam then the all-seeing Lord Brahma brought forth the fifth Veda, the Puranas and the Itihasas, from all of his mouths. So that's in the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Itihasa Puranani Panchamam Vedam Ishvara. Then he created the fifth Veda, the Puranas and the histories, from all his mouths, since he could see all the past, present, and future. A billion verses. The word Veda is directly applied here in reference to the Itihasas and the Puranas. Again, this is a very important point to Jiva Goswami. We should not diminish the importance when we look at the whole nature of a transcendental sound vibration coming from the spiritual realm, a purusheya, non-human sound vibration, we should not see a difference in its effectiveness from the Vedas and the Itihasas and Puranas. It's both are similarly effective in assisting humanity except one requires great qualification and one requires not hardly any qualification. And elsewhere it is said the Puranas are the fifth Veda. The Itihasas and Puranas are called the fifth Veda. Srimad Bhagavatam 1.4.20 And he taught the Vedas along with the fifth of their number, Mahabharata. 
If the Itihasas and Puranas were not Vedic, it would have been inappropriate for the preceding verses to include them as the fifth Veda. It would be wrong for the for the Srimad Bhagavatam to say they are the fifth Veda if they aren't the fifth Veda. I mean, it's just common sense, but this is this shows how important the argument was in the day. Um, since normally one counts together only items of the same kind. When we say Veda, it means all the Veda. Another reference. So comments, comments on this. Uh, same source, another argument. And again, this is in, in commentary. Some statements of Vedas contain Puranic subjects. So now if we remember back, when we look at the Puranas, there's, there's ten subjects there in the Puranas. I've touched on that in classes, right? One is creation, one is devastation. What one could argue is, well, actually, in the four Vedas, there are Puranic statements regarding creation and regarding dissolution. Jiva says, the Mimamsaka school says Puranas are part of the four Vedas because there are statements regarding Puranic subjects within the four Vedas and Vyas just pulled them out and made a fifth Veda, but there's really only four. So this is the Mimamsaka school is arguing like that. In, in this way, saying that well, if you have the four Vedas, this is, this is all that's necessary. And Jiva's saying, no, that's, that's not right. And it, then they also say, the Mimamsika, that, that Srila Vyasadeva wrote the Puranas and the Itihasas only for the people in Kali Yuga. They're only applicable there. So they're not part of the original Veda. Jiva refutes this by the statement showing they emanated separately from Brahma's mouths. Again, going back to those, his comment, those verses he's quoted from the Srimad Bhagavatam that clearly state fifth Veda and coming from Brahma's mouths. Again, all to make the point that they are a Purusheya. They're not human in origin. And they wouldn't be human in origin even if, because Vyasadeva is what? He's an incarnation of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So how could they be material anyway? Let's go to Anucheda 14. There's a couple interesting things that I'd like to, like to let you hear this evening before we, we wind up. In the Vayu Purana, Sutta Goswami explains why the Itihasas and Puranas are considered the fifth Veda. Srila Vyasadeva, the Almighty Supreme Lord, accepted me, Sutta Goswami, as a qualified speaker for, of the Itihasas and Puranas. In the beginning, there was only one Veda, the Yajur Veda, which Srila Vyasa divided into four parts. These gave rise to the four activities called Chaturhotra, by means of which 
Srila Vyas arranged the performance of sacrifice. I don't think I'm going to get into this explanation this evening. It's a little complicated. We need to go into what is involved in Vedic sacrifice and the different kinds of priests and how each one is is associated with one of the four Vedas. And then coming to the understanding of what about those one billion Puranic verses coming from Brahma's mouth. One billion, but we don't have a billion. What do we have available here? We have 18 Puranas and the Mahabharat. That's not a billion verses. How many verses is it? It's 500,000. Half a million. A billion? Half a million? That's like... It's 0.5%, which is five one-hundredths of one percent. Five one-hundredths of one percent are the Puranic... You can imagine the Puranas in the celestial realm, Brahma's realm, a billion verses, and we have not even a half a percent. Not even 0.5. It's 0.05% of that available to us. We have... 400,000 in the 18 Puranas and we have 100,000 in the Mahabharat. I will stop there for this evening. I hope it wasn't too technical and too... This is, this is a little bit heady, heady stuff. What we're, what we're going to get out of this when we come through the study of these Sundarbas, which is exactly what Jiva Goswami desires to give to us. And that is a greater appreciation and understanding of how to approach the Srimad Bhagavatam so that we can enter deeply into the understanding of the Bhagavatam in a very, in a very forceful way because we have a very solid grounding in how to understand the text. So all the mysteries of the Bhagavatam can become easily known to us through the study of the Sundarbas. Any questions? Thank you very much for your association. Thank you.